Welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. My name is Sam Clements and this is the podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime. In each episode, a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival. Today, we're joined by director Rob Savage, the filmmaker behind such films as Host and Dashcam, who is back in cinemas this summer with a brand new adaptation of Stephen King's short story, The Boogeyman. Hello, Rob. How you doing? Oh, good. I'm really glad to see you. You are uh, in, you know, in the 90 minutes or less film world. Uh, you're a living legend. Yeah. Well, I, I, I feel like I've let you guys down with this one. I'm three minutes over. <laughs> <laughs> I'd cut them if I could. Even you know, a film that's under two hours these days is uh, is, is quite a rare a rare feat. Big, yeah, big time, big time. But in recent years, you know, a couple of years ago, host 56 minutes long. That's a wild that's the runtime. Ideal length. <laughs> <laughs> and then Dashcam, you know, even though it's 20 minutes longer, it's still 76 minutes. Yes, no, exactly. And half of that is the credits. <laughs> so I think there's like a 20 minute increase on every movie. So, you know, you'll get to the four hour epic oh, at some point. Oh, God, no, I hope not. Please <laughs> slap me if I do. We, um, I mean, yeah, I'm always on the you know lookout for films that fall into, into uh, under 90 minute runtime just for my own sort of nerdery. But... I guess from your side as a filmmaker, at what point do you think about how long a film might be? I always start from the point of view that everything should be 90 minutes. And um, and I can't remember who said this, but I'm, I'm going to steal it. Somebody said that every minute over 90, you have to earn twice as hard. And I think that's the truth. I think a lot of filmmakers maybe come with a, a certain pomposity where they, they feel like they deserve the audience's time and the audience should be grateful for for every hour that they spend in their in their company i'm the opposite i feel like i feel like i'm imposing on the audience and if i'm going to ask you know if i'm going to ask for their time i want to make sure that these movies are as packed to the gills with um with care and attention and scares and thrills and all this kind of stuff and i want to make sure that that i've cut this movie as as um into its most satisfying compact form without rushing through it so uh so i always start start from a standpoint of of 90 minutes is the optimum. I mean, 85 would be good. (laughs) Evil Dead, like, rules, you know, 85. Well, Evil Dead 2 is 83 minutes, and everyone knows that's the perfect movie. I guess, you know, do you get to a point when you're sort of in the edit, you know, are you very happy to sort of take things out or, you know, you sort of constantly refining? As oh, it's you're... the best thing to get to take things out. Like, I, I, you're never going to see a director's cut from me that adds back in, you know, 20 minutes of unseen material. It's always about cutting down. And if something isn't serving the movie, if something is um, is dragging or it feels like it's uh, it's um, it's self-indulgent, I'll always I'll always trim it down. And there's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than than realizing you don't need something. And and it's always that way. I mean, sometimes you realize there are bits of information you need to to um, to give the audience to help things land a bit better and, and things you might have missed. But nine times out of ten, there's like, you know, there's like four pages of dialogue that you realize you don't need because the actor has communicated it all in a single glance. And that's the magic of um, that's the magic of filmmaking is when you're on set and you realize how how much you've overegged things and how much can just happen in the, the these kind of these simple unspoken moments. It must be so satisfying to take a side and just scrunch it up. Oh, yeah. Don't need to well, I actually guys. burn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone. So your new film, The Boogeyman, is out right now, but, you know, in, in quick succession, you've gone from host to dashcam uh, to this. 
Uh, when did the boogeyman come your way? Was was that you know were you you just finished host? Was it on dashcam? What was that journey? It was right after host. I I signed on. There was already a, a, a script by by Beckin Woods who did a Quiet Place, and I was aware of, I was aware of the short story. And obviously Stephen King is a big hero of mine, and so it was a no brainer. And I came on, and I, you know, I ended up developing the movie with with a different writer, Mark Heyman, um, who wrote Black Swan, who's a great writer, and we we developed away from from that original draft into something that was more our own but um but I was really excited even by the bones of what was there in in Beckenwood's draft and uh it happened uh it all kind of happened on top of each other because I was shooting dashcam as I was developing this script so I was on on UK time I was shooting this mad this mad movie in a wet field in Norfolk and then on American time I was doing script notes with Mark and we're going back and forth and then as soon as dashcam was finished uh we got the green light on Boogeyman and, and I literally went straight from the London Film Festival premiere of Dashcam straight to New Orleans to start prepping the Boogeyman. So I kind of haven't stopped. Boogeyman looks, you know, when you see it in the cinema, this is a, it's a big film. It's beautifully shot. It's got amazing sound design. What was the set like? Were you, were you on a soundstage? Did you design this house that we spend a lot of the time in? It's Yeah, it's mostly a soundstage. We did two weeks of location work and then the rest of it was on a soundstage. And um, that was the big difference from something like Host and Dashcam, where, you know, literally on Host, the first conversation was um, speaking to all the actors and being like, well, what have you got in your house that we can write into this movie? We, we built that movie back to front based on what we all had available to us during lockdown. Whereas this movie, I was able to plan it all out. I was able to storyboard it. And then from my storyboards, our, our incredible um, production designer then designed and built these houses. So everything was like... Uh, everything came from um, meticulous planning, and and uh, I was able to to get the movie that was in my head onto the screen pretty much uninterrupted. That feels like a very different type of filmmaking. That must have been quite fun to you know sort of be yeah. at the part, you know, at the head of completely. And it was, but then it was about it was about making sure that I took lessons that I'd learned from host and dashcam, which were improvised movies. Pretty much, we had a beat sheet, and every day I would workshop with the with the cast, and we'd figure out well, what are we going to shoot today, and. Um, you can't do that on a big studio Disney horror movie, but you can bring an element of that spontaneity and that improvis- improvisation and, and uh, you know, it's testament to to the producers and the studio that, that there was room for that in this, this movie, a big budget Stephen King adaptation. A lot of it was being rewritten on the day by, you know, me coming up with an extra scare or I'd workshop things with the cast and they'd throw in lines here and there that, that ended up being some of the funniest um, scenes in the movie. So it was, yeah, it's this, this mixture of like meticulous planning and and kind of chaos and uh, creativity still being allowed to thrive. It's an adaptation of a Stephen King short story, as you mentioned. Have you have you have you shown the film to Stephen King? Have you had much dialogue with him? He has seen it. He read the script before we started shooting, and he loved it. He said it was a, a, a perfect example of building out one of his short stories, and was very complimentary about that. And then uh, he saw the movie and said. Uh, did it scare the shit out of him, which is uh, a crazy thing to hear from Stephen King. And he loved it and has been just so supportive. He's been he's been tweeting about it and sharing, you know, uh, getting involved in our marketing campaign. And he's, yeah, he's a huge supporter of this movie and, and has been throughout the whole process. Oh, that's fantastic. It's so nice to hear when he's championing, you know, because he can be critical as well. So it must be quite, you know, yeah. sort of wary of... <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that would have sucked if he'd hated it. <laughs> Uh, but if you just frame those tweets, man, that's um, that's that's huge. There's an email he sent me that I genuinely am in the process of getting framed. <laughs> <laughs>
So when it comes to, speaking of watching films on the big screen, when it comes to watching other people's work, does a film's runtime ever come into your decision-making process? If you turned away from the cinema when you've seen how long something might be, or or, or does that does not really matter? It depends. I'm so excited for uh, Killers of the Flower Moon because, you know, probably the the, the best uh, recent film experience I've had is, is watching The Irishman have many years ago. That's probably the last one that really stands monolithic in my mind as being a perfect cinema experience. And I'm Marty's the one person who can do it basically everyone else everyone else has to earn uh, earn those minutes over 90 um, but yeah it's, no, it's more when I'm watching at home you know if I'm watching a movie at home I'm not going to watch anything that's longer than two hours I'm just not I don't have the patience for it anymore I've been corrupted by Twitter <laughs> I hear that. And also streaming services, especially, like, they do put the runtime right next to it. So you're like, ooh, wait mm. a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas cinemas, it's sort of hidden away a bit more. Yeah, exactly. Plus it's an, exp- you know, it's like, it's a, it's a night out, isn't it? Absolutely. And when we were talking about doing this podcast, I had to give you some homework. I'm sorry, I know you're very busy right now, but you kindly did the homework. Um, and what, what film did you, uh, did you end up picking for us to talk about today? Um, we're going to talk today about Wreck which for my money is one of the scariest horror movies ever made and I think runs at 80-something minutes. How, how, what is the run? It's, 80? it's tighter than even 78 minutes. 70, oh, perfection. <laughs> it's one of those movies, you know, speaking of Evil Dead 2, it's one of those movies where you watch it and every single scene, you know, you're showing, showing your friends the movie. Every single scene, you're like, this is the best scene. No, this is the best scene. Oh, this is the best scene. And, you know, a movie that runs... 78 minutes um it, you know it can really pack in quality scenes uh every every scare is meticulous and brilliant and terrifying and the accumulative effect is like it's like it's kind of like being punched in the face repeatedly but in a really amazing way <laughs> That's a poster quote. Get Stephen King to tweet that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so listeners, if you haven't seen the film yet, it's readily available on streaming services. It's on Amazon and Arrow. We've got a really lovely Blu-ray. Uh, would recommend picking up. But um, it follows a television film crew documenting the night shift of a fire brigade in Barcelona. They're kind of doing the graveyard shift. The show is called While You Were Sleeping. And uh, and they get a lot more than they bargain for when they go on a routine call-out to get someone who's in a locked apartment. Uh, and upon arrival uh, in this inner city apartment, uh, they visit uh, elderly female occupant uh, who is not uh, not what she seems and there's some sort of viral infection going on that's probably enough sort of plot stuff because a lot of the joy of the film is you know sort of finding out uh, with the main character as, as the horror um, yeah. happens but it's Spanish language found footage style horror film directed by co-directors uh, Juame Balaguro and Paco Plaza and released in 2007 so it's been around for a little while yeah yeah and I think I watched it I don't know, I think I watched it pretty soon after it came out because it had a reputation as of being incredibly terrifying and quickly got remade as Quarantine in the US, yeah, yeah. which is actually, I mean, Quarantine's really good as well. Mm. It's, not, it's not a bad remake. It is, it is almost a shot-for-shot remake, but it's very good. Nothing touches Wreck, though, and Wreck is, uh, Wreck is a movie that I'm, I'm constantly referencing and mostly, just, I mean, to kind of jump to the end, mostly I'm referencing it as, as a horror movie that has the perfect third act and specifically the the most perfect terrifying traumatizing final scene of any movie it's uh it's a horror movie that really understands that uh you know while in any other genre the rule is you go bigger in the third act and you expand out and you uh you know you want to go big and loud and bombastic instead this movie tightens its grip and ends with this um 
incredibly contained, claustrophobic night vision sequence, which is just three characters in a small space. Mm. And it's probably the scariest scene of all time, just to throw that out there. No, I, I hear you. God, I mean, I, I saw this at the cinema and people were crying at the end. I know, think like I was it's, crying it's at traumatic. the end. <laughs> but in a good, like, it's, it's also so skillfully made and I think that's the magic trick with this film. Yeah. And you're right, it, it actually builds to a sort of like a tiny, it's like a pyramid, you know, it builds to a point. Yeah. You start out it's in like fire a bot- It's engine, kind of a bottleneck. Yeah, you start out, they're not even in the apartment, are they? You know, they, yes. they're, they're, they're at this fire station and it's cavernous and it's empty. It's kind of boring. And then, um, it, you know, they get sort of like funneled into this narrow uh, apartment block, into the stairways, into the apartment, into the loft. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it uses space in such a, in such a brilliant way. There's, um, there's a lot of great scares that happen in the stairwell itself. Um, including one of the best jump scares of all time, when they're, they're uh, the directors know that they've got to get a bit of um, a bit of backstory and exposition out, and there's a scene where the characters are kind of debating and, and uh, uh, speaking to some of this backstory, and <laughs> and then are interrupted by like one of the most shocking deaths that you'll ever see on screen, um, and just the the kind of uh, the adrenaline of of um, of the chase aspect of this movie, the running up and down the flights of stairs as these things pursue them and um, realising that, that uh, as they go deeper and deeper into the building, they're, they're approaching kind of ground zero for whatever this infection was. The filmmakers do a good job. They um, One of my favourite things in film is like unexplained men in a hazmat suit outside your front door. And as soon as they go in, they basically are sealed into the apartment and yeah. d- that escape is taken away. And as the audience, you're like, oh, okay. That did, you, know, you don't see that coming at all. Yeah. Uh, and it's such a great decision to sort of seal them in and to show them being sealed in. Yes. And it gives a sense of scale to this movie that even though it's even though it's contained and even though it's only a handful of characters, it feels big and it feels consequential. And every single movie in the franchise since then, and, and I quite like a lot of them, but then none of them are nearly as terrifying as this. They've opened them out uh, in terms of the scope and they've become increasingly less scary because of it. Whereas this movie, this movie feels like you're, you're, it's, it's ground zero for something that might change the world, but you're really only concentrating on these handful of characters and their fates. Absolutely, and they don't over-explain it. What I love about this film is all of the, none of the characters know what's happening. You know, they're, they're trying to work out what's going on, but they've got no, it's sort of like pre-smartphone, yeah. there's no news, they're sealed in, there's very limited information. The firemen and the policemen, who are like the authority figures, are very quickly kind Dispatched. of done away with. Yes. <laughs> and, and because the character is that reporter character, you know, she's just talking to the camera and trying to like explain to us what's going on, which just adds to it because she's staring directly into our eyes. She is looking into the camera, yeah. telling us how scared she is. Yes. And she's she, uh, whatever her name is. She's inc- she's incredible, and she really anchors the movie, and and it does a great job as well. And this is this is one of the hard things about making a fan footage movie. As someone who's done a couple of them, um, is it uh, plays the scares in lots of different ways and keeps mixing up the visual language. Like uh, some of it is very kind of um, performative with her, you know, kind of enacting her role as a news host and speaking to the camera, and then a lot of it happens. Um, almost on the fly in these moments that are caught as the as the cameraman is running or drops the camera and then it builds to um to this this final sequence which is a night vision sequence um and actually just to 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 to, to link it back to host one of the most terrifying sequences in the movie um is when they uh they venture up into a the final space they end up in they they uh they first put the camera up 
and spin it around 360 degrees to see if anything's up there. And it's a bit of footage that I took and edited into a prank video that I played on my friends during lockdown, where I, I told them I was hearing noises from my attic, got them all on a Zoom call, and then uh, f- found a, a sneaky way to do, a, to do a hidden cut and then play them this footage of a zombie child jumping out from the attic and uh, seemingly killing me. And that, that uh, prank that I played on them became this viral video that ended up getting me the opportunity to direct Host, which set all this in motion. I wouldn't be here talking about Boogeyman without, without Host and without Wreck. Muy buenas noches, les habla Ángela Vidal. Hoy en Mientras Usted Duerme vamos a acompañar a una dotación de bomberos en su recorrido nocturno y me ahogo. Espera. Muy buenas noches, les habla Ángela Vidal. Hoy en Mientras Usted Duerme vamos a acompañar a una patrulla de bomberos en su recorrido nocturno por las calles de nuestra ciudad. Pero no solo eso, vamos a ver lo que nadie había visto antes. Cómo viven, cómo duermen, cómo descansan, cómo se preparan, qué comen. Vamos a ver el interior de la vida de este parque de bomberos. Acompáñenos en Mientras Usted Duerme. It's so good at sort of catching you unawares and distracting you. Like the whole film is them saying, look here, but actually something's going to happen here. Yeah. And it does feel like they're pulling off a magic show almost. Completely. It's, I mean, it's, it's, uh, that's one of the, that's one of the, the tricks you're always pulling in, in horror is uh, directing the audience's uh, attention to one part of the frame and having something happen in the corner. It's, it's, there's an extra level of um, intricacy that's added when you're doing a found footage movie because it needs to look as though it's all happening on the fly. And this movie feels incredibly authentic and um, uh, as though it's unfolding in real time. And yet it's framed and executed with such precision and such perfection. I don't think there's any other found footage movie that, that lands that. I think it normally falls one way or the other where it feels... Um, like Blair Witch Project, where a lot of it is just blurry cameras and shots of people's feet, feels very authentic to the point of nausea. Or it feels like, for instance, the, the Blair Witch sequel or, or requel or whatever you call it, the one that um, Wingard did, oh, yeah. which, which I like a lot, but feels very glossy and doesn't feel like anything that's authentic, authentically found footage. This feels like it does both. It's uh it feels like something that, that you you're watching kind of illicitly that, that that's um that's been recovered. But you also are, are, are acutely aware that um these these filmmakers know exactly the journey they're taking you on beat by beat by beat. There's no um there's kind of no faffing around. And you can't with seventy eight minutes. Like yeah. every single frame of this movie is a masterclass. Because it's a found footage element they they've sort of have done with done away with traditional like free act structure stuff there is still a free act structure but it's sort of like hidden uh, yes. away there's like no signifiers like you know we're bringing in the priest now you know this completely <laughs> yeah yeah um, and, uh, it just keeps you on your toes as an audience like yeah and they do the Blair Witch thing actually as well which is another reason I think the finale is so scary is you know the the, the end of the Blair Witch is is so terrifying because like you say there isn't any there's no signifiers that Dr. Exposition doesn't come in and explain it to you you're you see what's his face standing in the corner and your mind then throws back to that that initial interview with the where the woman describes the uh the children having to face into the corner while the their friends are being murdered and in that moment that you realize what's going on our cameraman gets gets bashed to the floor and you kind of are left in that state of shock and um similarly in the finale for wreck you I've been kind of watching this movie thinking it's a, it's a contagion movie, thinking it's a pandemic movie, thinking it's, an, you know, um, it's biological. And you're introduced to this space that uh, 
that sets up a kind of terrifying different context for everything that you've seen and there's nothing that's really being remarked upon by the characters it's not being explained but the the dressing of that final set and the um the thing that they meet in that space as you're as you're holding your breath and possibly crying and and uh, just you know praying for it to be over you're also your mind is whirring as you put together all these little um breadcrumbs that they've left you in the design of that space um and it doesn't pander to you it it really um it really makes you lean forward and uh, and engage. It rewards repeat viewing as well because of you know how things aren't sort of spoon fed to the audience. But there are little clues around, not as obvious as things like Cloverfield, but there are little things in there. Yeah. And I do like how the sequel, especially number two, sort of builds it up by seeing it from a different perspective. Yeah. The sequel's very good. The sequel is very good, and I quite like even the um, oh, which is the one. Is it four? The one where they um, it stops being found footage halfway through. Yeah. That one's fun. They're fun. Yeah, they're, I like how it's the same filmmakers for all four of them. Yes. And they've sort of like taken this on as a, as a project. <laughs> yeah, they're just not scary after the first one. No. But the first one is is in the top 10 scariest movies of all time, I would say. So they're, they're allowed to have fun with the sequels. It feels like Resident Evil to me, like in the best possible way. Like the first one is very claustrophobic, like the first yeah. Resident Evil. And those games get bigger and bigger. They bring in more sci-fi elements and they become a different beast. But they're very good at what they, they end up doing. I love all of those movies as well. With, with Wreck, is this something that you've you've shown, you know, sort of like collaborators or people you're making films with to sort of try and get a, a point across? Con- I mean, constantly. I'm constantly <laughs> talking about this movie. I showed it to... I, I showed clips from this movie to the girls in Host because one of the things that I would do to to get them ready to do those extreme horror scenes is I would share screen on Zoom and play some of the most disturbing horror clips I could find and think of because they're all terrified of horror movies. And so I used scenes from Wreck to get them there. Uh, on Dashcam, it was one of the few films that I that I gave everyone to watch as homework before we started shooting. And in fact, it was really a huge reference for 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 Dashcam and, and you know, Dashcam isn't done with half the artistry of Wreck, but it had that same idea of doing something that's uh, uh, that's kind of deliriously fast-paced, but um, but hopefully very deliberate in how it's made. And that was that was one of the movies we were looking at. And then, to to be honest, to be honest, there's not many horror movies that have good, scary, iconic third acts and final scenes. It's a it's a bit of a bugbear for me in the in the um, horror world that, that that there's horror movies normally fall into a trap of of going too big in their final their final scenes and and then just leaving the audience unafraid of the thing that you spent the whole movie building up as much as i love the conjuring 2 and it is one of my favorite movies of all time you know i think you see way too much of the nun at the end of the end of that movie and things go too big too action-packed and actually the best horror movies are the movies like blair witch they're the movies like wreck they're the movies like Silence the Lambs that actually go claustrophobic and uh, uh, limit the perspective of the of the main character and, and um, tighten their grip like a vice. And so I'm always referencing this movie as the perfect the perfect end to a horror movie. I love how it just sort of stops. You know, like the character, you know, she sort of has her fate happens, yeah. is dragged into the darkness, and then the film ends. It roll credits. Yeah. Well, it's great. It just it's a movie that chews you up and spits you out. And it's like, I remember, it's like it's like when I watch Kill This for the first time, you just like stagger out of the cinema at the end. Um, there's no, it doesn't doesn't let you down. It doesn't, it just, it just shakes you awake suddenly and uh, leaves you to deal with what you've just seen. 
there's a lot of good stories about making this film how you know some of the, the actors didn't have the whole script mm. and they didn't know what was going to happen to certain actors so you do get some genuine reactions when yeah. some people might get attacked or fall over and there's that great uh, scene I think you mentioned earlier where uh, yeah, sort of a body falls down the stairway yes. as people are having a bit of an argument and nobody knows that's going to happen and that's the first take that's incredible seen, but... that's incredible I didn't know that I didn't know that because that's what we did on host you know on host we um the actors only knew what was going to happen to their characters. They didn't know who was going to die in, in what order. And uh, we shot all of the scare scenes and the death scenes in advance. So um, we were able to play those back to the cast, wow. who, again, didn't know what we were capable of. They didn't know that um, the actor Teddy was a stunt person who was, you know, we were legally allowed to set fire to. <laughs> so when they see him with his face burning, they really freaked out. Uh, that's amazing, and that's it's one of the things I love about about fan footage is it's it's uh, it blurs that line between between reality and and fiction, and uh, and I think I think that's why some of the scariest movies, when they're done right, are fan footage movies. You know, because it's weird; it's so artificial in a way. You're so say you watch this at the cinema. Yeah, you've paid your money, you've got your popcorn, and you're sitting in a you know comfy cinema chair. But even then, you still feel like this is. Yeah. genuine found footage that they have played after all those trailers yeah, and all that yeah. sort of stuff like it's such a magic trick your like, brain your brain doesn't know how to decipher it in the same way and it's you know we're all even if we don't know it we're all so aware of film language and film grammar and we know you know if you're watching a horror movie and a character opens a mirrored cupboard and shuts it you're going to expect somebody to show up behind but there's something that kind of disarms that element of your cognitive function it just manages to like bypass um, bypass that in a way that makes you feel like you're watching something that's authentic if it's done well. I think that's something that has to be done well, doesn't it? And it has I to think be Wreck well. is like peak. Wreck is the sweet spot, I think. It's Wreck and it's Ghostwatch and it's the Blair Witch Project and uh, Paranormal Activity and Lake Mungo. That's the five. And you know what? All of those films are under 90 minutes. Is that right? That's right. <laughs> They're onto something. So found footage and under 90 minutes. That's the magic trick. Well, there we have it. Wreck is in our 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, so we'll add this to our lineup. Yes. We've got some great horror films here, actually. We've got uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacres in the Perfect lineup, movie. Halloween, Perfect and movie. Wreck. Now, that's going to be Perfect it's going to be a good... The horror tent's going to be banging. And Late Mungo. Has someone talked about Late Mungo Not yet? Not yet. Oh, have been back. Come back on. I think it's 90 Minutes bang on. But uh, at the festival, we like to sort of give our, our curators, of which you are now one, a, you know, a chance to sort of, you know, um, put your own personality on the screening. So if I could give you, I guess, a blank check to dress a cinema or to choose a venue where would you like to show wreck how would you like to show it to an audience oh you know what? i think i'd probably show it at um the genesis cinema in london because we um me and me and a couple of friends used to run a, a, a screening series there where we would just, it was called the london video club and we would used to we would screen movies off uh, x rental blockbuster vhs tapes on the big screen and um one of the movies we screened was The Blair Witch Project, which I hadn't seen in 10 years because it scared me so much it had actually made me cry. And, uh, and so I braved, I braved watching that movie again on the big screen at the Genesis. And I didn't quite cry, but I was having to like, bite my lip to stop myself. It was so scary. Um, so I've got that's, that's got a special found footage place in my heart. So I think I'd take the Genesis and, um, and I'd probably have men in hazmat suits standing outside <laughs> and uh, plastic sheets over all the exits and entrances. Would love that. They can like, escort guests to the toilets or something. Yes, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Beat them up if they try and leave. And maybe we could serve some like Spanish beer and, and yeah. get some like you know sort of snacks uh, around as well. That'd be a fun, love fun that. thing to do. 
Uh, grand. Okay, well, there we have it. So we're going to screen wreck out our festival at the Genesis um, and we'll get the men in the hazmat suits and it'll be a, be a jolly old time. Thanks so much for talking to us today, Rob, and, and thank you also for the Boogeyman. Thank you. Was as you were talking about some of those scary things, like that mm. was me watching the Boogeyman. I say, like, I had to turn away from the screen several times. Amazing. I <laughs> wish I wish I could have seen that. Do you uh, do you know what you're doing next? You're going to have a well earned break. Um, no, I don't like to stop. I don't <laughs> like to stop and be alone with my brain for too long. So uh, no, I've got. There's a couple of other couple of other horror movies that um that are ready to go. That I think you know as soon as, as soon as the the um, writer's strike is resolved and uh, and the studios give the writers what they deserve we can we can get going on those again and then also i'm hoping that boogeyman ends up being a hit and we can make the sequel to boogeyman because oh God, there's a great that. great great concept that we've got which is so exciting and is would be exciting as an original horror movie but as a sequel to this movie doubly so um that i really hope we get to make so please Go and see this movie. Well, you heard it here, listeners. Listen to Rob. And uh, I, I love a horror sequel, so please uh, do make that film. Thanks so much, Rob. It's been really good talking to you today. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or, if you've got a mo, share an episode with your friends every recommendation helps you can contact us on our website 90minfilmfest.com and on twitter and instagram at 90minfilmfest the podcast is produced by me sam clements and louise owen it's edited by louise owen with sound mixing and additional editing by luke smith our music is by martin ostwick and our artwork is by sam gilby we'll be back in a couple of weeks We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network.